Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The soul-stirring music of South African singer Miriam Makiba was inextricably linked to her human rights activism, which made waves around the world. Her immortal voice is celebrated in a recent album by the artist Somi. Later this hour, the Atlanta-based musician of Rwandan and Ugandan heritage will tell us about her recent album, Zenzile, the reimagination of Miriam Makiba. First... Next time you walk or ride along Marietta Street Northwest, you'll see a new large-scale digital exhibition lighting up Atlanta's art district. Look at them, look at us. A digital billboard presented by Orange Barrel Media in partnership with the renowned artist Genevieve Gagnard. The permanent digital installation rotates Genevieve's photographs along with those created by eight Atlanta-based artists. Genevieve Gagnard joins me now via Zoom with Pete Scantland, founder and CEO of Orange Barrel Media and an Atlanta artist featured in the exhibition, Photographer Natrice Miller, welcome to City Lights. So great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Pete, first off, where is the Atlanta Arts and Entertainment District? The Atlanta Arts and Entertainment District is what people think of as the historic downtown of Atlanta. And that's roughly south of the 85 connector to Martin Luther King Boulevard west from Centennial Olympic Park, and then east over to about West Peachtree Street. And the Atlanta Arts and Entertainment District is home not only to the densest concentration of offices, uh, sporting events, cultural facilities, but also is a program that launched two years ago that creates a unique public-private funding model 
to create funds to develop and display public art. Would you talk about the collaboration between Orange Barrel Media, Genevieve, and the local artists? Absolutely. So I've been a tremendous fan of Genevieve Gagnard for years. And when we started working on this site, which is really prominent at the corner of Cone and Marietta Street, we thought of Genevieve's work, Look at Them, Look at Us, which is a work that I've admired for a while and thought it was a perfect opportunity to make this at this really prominent location on a parking garage that had had actually been voted one of the ugliest parking garages in Atlanta and turn it into something that's not only beautiful, but something that causes people to stop, think a little bit deeper and engage with the artists that are on display now. One of the really, I think, tremendous things about this project, and this says so much about Genevieve, is when we started talking to her, she said, I don't see this as an opportunity only for my own work, but as an opportunity that I can help other artists by displaying their work. And so Genevieve immediately set about thinking about how to use this as an opportunity to showcase other artists' work as well. Very generous. Genevieve, we last spoke in January about your This Is America exhibition at the Atlanta Contemporary. And in our discussion, you said, it's almost like my work doubles as a mirror to the viewer to kind of check in with themselves and their stance on things. How does this digital exhibition serve as a mirror to those who will pass by and view it? Yeah, I think it will allow viewers to kind of ask the question, who's them, who is us, and kind of sit with that. The original scaled neon that I presented was actually in that show, This Is America, some of the local folks that came to that show were able to see that and interact with it. So I, I love that this is the message can kind of linger with, with folks for a longer time. Yeah. Pete mentioned your 2020 series, look at them, look at us. How have you adapted the images for the large scale digital exhibition? For the large-scale exhibition, I liked this series of portraits that I had done where I'm kind of playing with the gaze. The characters seem to be looking at each other while one is actually looking out into the viewer's eyes or into the, into the world there. So it kind of lends the viewer to think about what that statement, look at them, look at us, really kind of implies. Now, you are a Los Angeles and Massachusetts-based artist. Why do you think Atlanta is a good fit for this show? I mean, I don't know if it is a good fit. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've read you've said some nice things about our city. No, no, no. Well, you know, I mean, to say it's a good fit, I think I, I make work for a large audience. So 
the further out my message can go, my work can be seen, then it's a great fit, you know? So I'm just thankful to Pete and Orange Barrel Media for collaborating with me on this project that's taken about three or so years to come to fruition. And, you know, most of this happening digitally through email and Zoom, and then to finally see it in person, it's kind of, it still kind of takes my breath away to see it in person. Genevieve, there are eight Atlanta-based artists whose works are featured in this exhibition. How were they selected? Yeah, so when we decided, you know, it would make more sense to present the platform for local Atlanta-based artists to be highlighted on this billboard. Karen Cormolo was reached out to to be part of this experience. Me not knowing a ton of artists from the area made it easier for me to like lean into Karen's guidance on, you know, her knowledge of the local artists as she's been interacting with them for years. Karen and I both suggested artists, her kind of being more the lead in that, introducing me to some of the artists. I had a chance to kind of look up her suggestions and really view the images. The conversation I believe was more, you know, what do you feel would, as the artist would go well with this statement? Look at them, look at us. So you have all of these kind of beautiful portraits with some collage moments. It feels like a really community rich um, display of the people from Atlanta. Who are these artists? So we have Chip Moody. We have Jalen Knowles. We have Ken West. We have Davion Alston. We have Natrice Miller, who we'll be chatting with in a moment. We have C. Rose Smith, as well as A.D. Kaya Clark and Artemis Jenkins. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights, speaking with artist Genevieve Gagnard, Orange Barrel Media's Pete Scantland, and photographer Natrice Miller. We're discussing the new digital installation on Marietta Street. Look at them, look at us. Natrice, please tell us about your photograph, Homecoming. Homecoming is a part of a larger series where I'm documenting the hairstyles of little Black girls when I'm out and about. It started a few years ago at a family reunion where I saw one of my little cousins and she had the little baubles in her hair and it kind of took me back to my own childhood and I took a photo. And from there, every time I would see a little girl when I was out and about, I would ask the parent if I could take a photo of her hairstyle and it just grew from there. It's kind of a nostalgia thing because that's how my hair looked as a little girl, just like the photo on homecoming. That was like the length of my hair and everything. So it's just a way to document these hairstyles, kind of an archival type of thing, but in the same breath, just using the camera 
to kind of uplift these little girls in that moment. Every time I tell them I light their hair, they always smile and they're really excited to take a photo. So just with this particular series, I've learned that the, with photography is not always about the final image. Sometimes it's the process and, you know, the journey of the image and what you can do with the camera. Beautiful. I, I was hoping you might share some of the responses the little girls have given you. Smiles are always welcome. Yeah, they smile, they pose, and they're just very patient. And then some of them put their hands on their hip, even though I'm <laughs> focused on the hair. So that's really cool just in that moment, just to see their reaction and someone telling them that their hair is pretty in a society where they don't always hear that. Mm. You recently had a film called The Rhapsody that's spelled W-R-A-P-S-O-D-Y. That film was on view at the Atlanta Contemporary. And that, too, tells a story about the beauty and hair journeys of Black women. What has been the impact of these projects on attitudes about your own hair and how you present yourself? Hair has just always been a part of my life. Uh, my grandmother was a beautician. She owned her own beauty shop in Coconut Grove in Miami. Uh, my mother gave me a lot of freedom growing up with trying all types of different styles. So for me, it was really just an extension of my own life and just the lives of other Black women that I know. Then these are our inner lives. This is what we live. This is what we go through. So it really just felt like me releasing ideas out of my head. It felt really natural to do that. And I know sometimes people talk about hair a lot, but I want to talk about it again <laughs> in a different way <laughs> and just kind of give a different narrative, a different perspective with this film, go a little experimental with it. So that really good response to it, men and women have liked it. A lot of men connected with it from saying they remember seeing their sisters, you know, get their hair washed or seeing their mothers do these certain things or their girlfriends or wives. So I've had a pretty good response from the work. So it's interesting. The men responded observing it as a ritual, but not necessarily thinking about their own hair. Right. I mean, I had a couple that said they did connect in it that way because Black men have their own, they have their own rituals to believe me when it comes to their hair or haircuts or locks. But I think that is how most of the Black men that talked to me and men, some white men told me they had Black friends that they grew up with and they remember doing these things or helping them take their braids out and everything. So everybody kind of had their own experience. And I think that's why they connected. So you mentioned the narrative you wanted to present with the Rhapsody film. What are your hopes for young Black girls and Black women and men with the narrative you present in your artwork? Just to number one, like enjoy something that they can connect to, you know, something about our shared experiences, but also, especially for younger people to know you can 
do whatever you want to be your authentic black self, whether you have braids or locks or braids down to your knees, which I wore for quite a few years, you can still do amazing things and accomplish your goals. So just, just be you. Don't worry about what society says. It's not always easy, but just do you. Atlanta-based photographer Natrice Miller, Pete Scantland, founder and CEO of Orange Barrel Media, and renowned artist Genevieve Gagnard, look at them, look at us, is on view on the north facade of the parking garage at 79 Marietta Street Northwest downtown. More information is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, our series of local musicians in their own words, speaking of music, today featuring Q Nova, amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for joining me. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words. Hey, I'm Qnova. If I had to describe my music, I would say it's pretty much on the storytelling side. I like to have a well-structured track, so to say. One that people can relate to. So whether I'm having fun on the track or I'm being serious on the track, it's going to be something they can take from it. You mad at a hat? I'm sexy as Taddy. I'm dripping like Dallas. Loud we alley. Winning no balance. I've always known that music is something that I love to do. So, you know, as a young child growing up, I would always sing. I always try to write my own music, lyrics to tracks. And I, I would love it. So, you know, I continue doing from there. And I slay myself. Hearing as a face beat. I'm drizzling. I like to take random selfies. I keep, I keep it jumping. The two songs that I want to share with you guys is called Check Up and Talk Your Talk Sis. Talk Your Talk Sis pretty much uplifting the next woman. 
and or yourself. You know, if you got this big job coming through, you just opened a business, you're taking care of your home, your kids just graduated. To me, you're talking your talk, sis. That's what I own. That's what I own. I'm grown. You see the crown? I'm on my throne. I'm on my throne. Sipping Patron. I pull out my phone. I'm going live so they can see what I be on. My sis gon' ride. They keep that fire. We winning the race. It's never a tie. So check up, you know, nothing is free. You have to work hard for what you want and go after your dreams. So things cost. So, you know, if you're working, you're trying to get that job, it really motivates you to make that money and to make it happen. You know, make the money the right way and make it happen. I choose to call Atlanta my home because Atlanta is my home. I am from East Atlanta, born and greatest, so as they say, I am a greatest baby. And Atlanta is very influencing. It's on the rise. You know, you got a lot of good talents, a lot of, you know, positivity coming from Atlanta, a lot of growth, a lot of people supporting each other. And that's what I like and that influenced me in my music. You know, I like to go out and actually, you know, support other people and hear other performances. My next upcoming show that I'm having is pretty much a festival, and it's called Welcome to South Cobb, right alongside of the river uh, Chattahoochee. So if you guys not doing anything September the 10th, I will be performing. Come out and see your girl, Q Nova, with my band. We're going to rock it out. Q Nova and our series Speaking of Music. More information about Q Nova's music is on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. Coming up, Grammy-nominated singer Somi tells us about Zenzile, the reimagination of Miriam Makiba. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The soul-stirring music of South African singer Miriam Makiba earned her affectionate nicknames such as Mama Africa and the First Lady of Africa. Makiba's music was inextricably linked to her human rights activism, which made waves around the world. 
her immortal voice, is celebrated in a new album by the artist Somi with Zenzile, the reimagination of Miriam Makiba. This Grammy-nominated singer and musician recently relocated to Atlanta, and she joins us now via Zoom to talk more about her tribute album. Somi, welcome to City Lights. Thank you so much. Thank you. Not everyone in our audience may know about Miriam Mikiba. We're about to remedy that. Would you talk about her background and her legacy? Sure. Well, she was um, the first South African artist, well, really, I would say the first African woman to arrive on the global cultural stage. She was an incredible singer and also known for her political activism. She came over to New York in uh, 1959 under the auspices of Harry Belafonte. She went on to um, become the first African artist to win a Grammy. She became, in many ways, single-handedly the face and the voice of the anti-apartheid movement, really brought it into global awareness because of her celebrity in the United States. She was best friends with Nina Simone. She was married to Stokely Carmichael. I mean, so many, there are so many reasons that we should know more about Miriam Makeba. And I think when you realize what her story is, it's a bit surprising that we don't actually know more than, you know, given that she was moving in the upper echelons of cultural and political society in this, uh, in, in that time. I was a young girl. I was a little girl when she came to the United States, but then as a young girl, I remember seeing her recordings, hearing them, and I wondered, you are young yourself, when did you first discover her music? Well, I think, like many Africans, you'd be hard-pressed to find a home that didn't have some sort of Miriam Makeba experience or, you know, some sort of some music of hers in their homes. I mean, definitely growing up in the 80s in Illinois, mostly. My family is originally from Uganda and Rwanda, but my parents loved her. So I don't actually know the very first time I heard her or when I was introduced to her voice. I will say as an East African, because there's a song of hers, Malaika, that is in Swahili, that that's probably the, the earliest, those are the earliest lyrics of hers that I remembered. Malaika nakupanda Malaika Malaika nakupanda Malaika Ningekuwa She's been a part of my kind of life, the, the sonic fabric of my life <laughs> throughout my life. And I, I really kind of was reintroduced to her much later when I decided to take the journey as a, as a singer in my own, on my own, in my own right. And I started kind of operating in this jazz economy, this sort of approximation to jazz. And, and actually, I would say it was reading Nina Simone's autobiography 
when she spoke about her sisterhood with Miriam Akeba that made me think, well, wow, I didn't even know that Miriam had this approximation to jazz. I didn't know that she was inside of that world in the U.S. in that way, that her transnationalism really was being was read in that way. And so I was inspired to kind of look more closely, you know, and listen more closely. And I think in many ways that was the real reintroduction to Miriam Akeva when I started to really, you know, not take her voice for granted, if you will, and, and really pay attention. I'm so grateful you made this recording. I'm sure many people have told you that. Thank you. It goes back to, I mean, being a 12-year-old girl, hearing this voice and feeling captivated on the recording. And she was so much of the time you talk about transnational as the face of the anti-apartheid movement and being active in the United States in the late 50s, early 60s. It was this extraordinary link between the American civil rights movement and the horror of apartheid all at once. And here were people being made aware of this through her gorgeous voice and music. What are some of your favorite songs that you reimagined on the album? You know, it was very hard to choose my favorites of Miriam Makeba, a lot of which didn't make it onto the, the album. A lot of, you know, it was because she had a 50, 60 year career, right? So I would say on this particular record, I mean, and speaking about the idea of struggle, there's a song, Hapo Zamani, which was originally recorded and written by a woman by the name of Dorothy Masuka, a wonderful singer from Zimbabwe and Miriam Makeba's contemporary. And it really speaks about what it would be for once the exile, those in exile come back to South Africa and how the oppressors should run. Frankly, that's actually the literal translation is that they should run when they come because they're going to come back and take their rightful place in their homeland. also say, you know, the opportunity to record one of the many special guests on this record is uh, Lady Smith Black Mambazo, whom, you know, as many people know, are, are an award-winning, you know, beautiful a cappella group from Durban, South Africa, and at one point toured with Miriam Makeba during the Graceland tour with Paul Simon. <laughs> Ah, 
special to be able to record a song called Nongkongho, which is which literally means for those we love. And it's a song that honors those who fought um, on behalf of freedom and, and died in that struggle or were pr imprisoned during that struggle. So, you know, obviously people like Nelson Mandela and Sibukwe and all the different freedom fighters. So that song, having the opportunity to record with Ladysmith Black Mambazo, mm. It was also quite moving. I can speak a little bit about the, the various guests on the record. Angelique Kijo was one of her mentees, I would say. I know that Angelique had a very close relationship with Mama Miriam. Um, I also have a range of other South African artists in it besides Lady Smith, which include Tandi Swamazwai, Msaki, and Duduzo Makatini, all of whom, they're vocalists, and Duduzo is a, an instrumentalist, but all of whom are standing firmly in that lineage and standing firmly in the work of you know, cultural memory and truth-telling on behalf of um, the people of South Africa um, and our incredible artists in their own right. Additionally, I have Sheo Kuti, so I wanted to represent the Pan-Africanist spirit as well as, as I said, Angelique. And then to represent that transnational conversation, again, as you mentioned, between the anti-apartheid movement and the civil rights movement and her long-standing collaboration with Harry Belafonte, I invited Gregory Porter to be a guest to do a duet with me on the song called Love Tastes Like Strawberries. And it's full of extraordinary players, too. Thank you. You are, astonishingly, the first African woman to be nominated in any jazz category at the Grammys for your vocal album, Holy Room. 
Miriam Makiba was never individually awarded, though, as you mentioned, her 1965 album with Harry Belafonte won a Grammy. How did you feel, Somi, when you were nominated for the award? You know, I was more overwhelmed than I guess I thought I would be. I think sometimes we don't realize the ways of being seen that we hope for. I don't think we realize how much we want those ways of being seen to manifest in our lives. So I was a bit taken aback by it. Honestly, I was very, I was surprised, I guess. I was, and surprised in that I'm somebody who's a bit of an outlier in the jazz community, but even though I operate very much inside of the jazz community, I didn't set out to be a jazz vocalist per se. I'm a songwriter. I'm not someone who knows, you know, the beauty of, I, I, I don't know the range of, of, of all the jazz standards just pulling out of my, my belt with, with in whatever key. That's not kind of how I came to this music. I think I showed up in jazz because of the freedom that it represents and that it allows and that it insists upon. And because of the voracious musicianship of people who identify as jazz musicians that I'm fortunate to surround myself with who have taught me so much and allowed and, and challenged me to lean into a certain type of freedom. And I think that improvisation of the idiom, of the jazz idiom, really is in many ways a metaphor for my own kind of social and cultural upbringing in that I am an East African woman, Rwanda, Uganda, you know, born, born in Illinois, actually, and then lived in Zambia, and then, you know, now as a, as somebody based in between New York and, and Atlanta, but as a musician, gets to own the, the, the badge of a global citizen, right? And so I think being seen in that space was and continues to be, you know, it's, it's a humbling experience. I think the idea of being the first, it's one of those moments where it, it, for me, it just challenges me to think about, well, how can I use my platform to hold space for additional artists that I think who are currently doing work and who are, you know, obviously will be behind, you know, my current generation and continue to, to, to move into the, bring Africa towards the center, you know. I think it's a very exciting time for the African continent, for African artists, and so I'm honored to represent in that way. But I think more than anything, you know, I'm honored to stand on the shoulders of someone like Miriam Makeba, who was the original space maker, right? Being the first African artist to really show up on the global cultural stage, as I said, and, and have that sort of visibility, have that sort of celebrity, and, and also demonstrate what it is to have that platform and to use it with integrity, with accountability, with truth, and without forgetting heritage, without forgetting struggle. I think if you, you know, as, as somebody who has had the opportunity to study Mama Miriam's life, she showed up with so much generosity despite so much struggle. Oh, yes. And I think you know, the journey of an artist, of most artists, and not to romanticize it, it, there is struggle, you know, and so I, I 
to answer your question, I feel humbled by it and honored by it, but I, I, I also understand that I'm standing on the shoulders of people who made room, Miriam Akeba, Hugh Masakela, all these people who, who made room, you know, whether we want to call it jazz or not, you know, and I'm grateful for that. I really appreciate this explanation because I read you discovered your musical identity in crossing the cultural bridge between America and Africa. And it seems you've channeled your African roots in a way that blends with jazz and soul music. Ideally, just your description of how the improvisatory aspects of jazz, I guess, are something of a metaphor for that freedom you sing about. Yes. I, I mean, as I said, I think the, the beauty of jazz is that it's, in many ways, the one genre that explicitly asks anyone on stage to improvise, even though improvisation obviously happens in all genres. But there's something about this sort of, de there's a demand for it. There's a, there's a holding of space. There's an acknowledgement of all of the voices on stage, not just the vocalist, right? It's an, there's an acknowledgement of saying, you know, I'm, I'm interested in hearing this voice and meeting me where I am. And I think there's something that that music has taught me or this, my journey inside of this music has taught me about kind of social malleability and open heartedness and exchanging ideas of freedom. So I, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I think that in many ways it's, it's been necessary to be able to improvise outside of the music in that, you know, this idea of being a first generation American woman, being a first, you know, a child of immigrants, being, choosing the path of an artist, it does require that we lean into to freedom. And, and I think, you know, I always say music is what saves me, you know, every time. So whenever, we've, whenever I feel as though I may, may be losing my way, then I, I know that I can always come back to the music and the freedom inside of it is, is, is what grounds me. It was Nelson Mandela, not long after his release from prison, who persuaded Miriam Makeba to return to South Africa. If Miriam were alive, and she would have been 90 in March. How do you think she would have responded to the current state of race relations in South Africa? I can't really speak to that. I can only, I'll, I'll share some of the sentiments that have been shared with me by my contemporaries and as other, other artists. And I think that everybody believes more could be done Right? I think the issue is still that you know, black people are still the economic minority in South Africa. They still don't own the majority of the land in South Africa. Mm. So I think there are things that were fought for that still have not come to pass. So I think that would be disheartening, as I know it's disheartening to a number of people in South Africa, black South Africans, you know, and, and, and possibly, you know, non-black South Africans. I would like to hope that they yes. also, that everybody's interested in a certain type of equity. Not everybody, but, you know, a, a significant <laughs> number of people. So I can't 
say you know what she would have wanted or didn't want, but I know I know that what she fought for, and I know there are still grave imbalances and disparities and a lot of poverty. Even though South Africa is also, you know, you go there and you it's an it's a, it's a wonderful place and it's very modern and there's all kinds of opportunities, but in terms of that wealth gap, I mean, this is something we see just, I guess, in capitalist societies everywhere in the world, but the kind of reparations, I think, that were expected, I don't think all of those things have happened. And that's unfortunate. You created a stage play, Dreaming Zenzile, also in tribute to Miriam McCabe. You wrote it, directed it, you play Miriam herself, and recently brought the Dreaming Zenzile show on tour. I know you played the Apollo. What can you tell us about the production? Sure. Well, firstly, I'm not the director. The director is the incredibly talented and very brilliant Liliana Blaine Cruz. <laughs> but I, oh, uh, forgive that's me. That's okay. But I did write it, and I do have the honor of, of playing the role of Miriam Makeba in the piece. So the, the first production was in St. Louis at the Repertory Theater, and it traveled to McCarter Theater in Princeton, in, and then it traveled to Arts Emerson in Boston, and is now, we are now in rehearsals. I'm just literally this week started rehearsals for the off-Broadway production that will open, well, previews begin May 17th, and it opens June 1st here in New York City, and will run through the middle of July. The show at the Apollo, because they are one of the co-producers, there are seven different producing entities around the play, and the Apollo is one of those um, entities. But the play is, they're, they're part of the production team for the um, upcoming off-Broadway production, but the show I did at the Apollo was the launch event, the album launch event, the concert. And then I was able to invite two of the vocalists from the record, Tandi Swamazwai and Saki, as well as Diane Reeves to be guests to mm. honor Miriam Makeba and celebrate her 90th birthday because the album came out on her 90th birthday, March 4th, what would have been. Mm. So yes, the play, it's meant to be a companion project to the album. I started this kind of larger cultural memory project seven years ago. I decided I was going to reimagine some of her music and make a record. But the more I started leaning into her catalog and wanting to understand, you know, what she was going through personally, professionally, just understand kind of the biographical context around the making and performing of these songs the more I, I realized I didn't know, even despite being a lifelong admirer of Miriam Makeba, I realized I actually didn't know much about her life. And that was a bit of a shock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so began the journey of trying to make something, you know, with a little bit more dimensionality, you know, not to say that a, a, an album isn't dimensional, but it, 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 it's, it's you know, songs are ephemeral in nature, right? There's a reason we put a song on and play it on repeat, <laughs> trying to stay inside of that song. And so what I love about theater is it's an opportunity, it's, it's about world making, right? So this was an opportunity to try to construct the world of Miriam Makeba and invite people to reflect on her life journey. So the play takes place during her final concert in Italy, which you may already know in real life, she, her final performance, she finished the show, walked into the wings and suffered a, a fatal heart attack. 
And so part of the reason, like, the album is called Zen Zile, the reimagination of Miriam Makeba, and then the play is called Dreaming Zen Zile, is because I was very taken by the name Zen Zile, which is her true name in Posa. It's her true first name. And it means you have done it to yourself. And so to me, this idea of doing something to oneself, it invokes ideas around personal agency. And when I was thinking about how she died, you know, the fact that she finished the show, I mean, surely she was feeling some kind of way when she was performing to step onto the wings and have, then have a heart attack literally seconds after. And so it speaks to me about the agency in the way that she lived and, and honestly in the way that she died, right? In the fact that perhaps, first of all, I would say that it speaks to the generosity of Miriam Makepa, right? The fact that she relentlessly would show up, that she would push through even perhaps the, the discomfort or pain she may have been experiencing in that moment before her final breath, right? And I think that is a metaphor for how she showed up in the world, right? And I think, because once you understand how, how many things she was carrying in her life, all that she was navigating, it only makes it so much clearer about how, how, how very generous she was, not only in voice, but in spirit. And I think we can think about her as, a, as an icon in the anti-apartheid movement. We can think about all of these things and already speak to her generosity. But when you understand even beyond that, not to say that that wasn't already, you know, so heavy and weighted, but to, to understand that beyond that, there were additional things she was carrying and that she still showed up with so much joy. You know, you don't think about Miriam Makeba and think about a melancholy kind of way of, 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 of being as an artist. You know, you think about the joy, the ferocity, the, the truth telling. And so this piece, takes place on that last night and the conceit of the play is that the ancestors basically are showing up to tell her it's time. And, but she has to decide, right? Because she's Zenzile, she's the one who does it to herself, right? So in coming to that, that moment, that leaving, that tra transcendence into the, ancestral, into the ancestral plane, they take her on a journey. And it has been deeply rigorous and deeply rewarding. You've recently relocated to Atlanta, is that right? You said you are based in Atlanta and New York. Yes. Why do you want to make Atlanta your home base? Well, I'm still exploring Atlanta as a possible home base. Uh, I, I wanted to, I think I love the idea of being in a warmer city. I think that's number one. Um, I think- <laughs> This is the Illinois girl talking, right? <laughs> I grew up in Chicago. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I'd love to be, you know, in a warmer city. Uh, and I'd love the idea that, I mean, there's obviously the cost of, of living is very different than what it is to live in, in Manhattan, New York in general. And I would also say that, you know, it's the third largest entertainment capital of, this, of the country, right? So that was also really intriguing to me. And, you know, a longstanding community of, of an African diaspora that's thriving and doing so well. I think I, I'm, I'm interested in being near that as well. And um, so that's been fun to, to discover. I mean, I'm on the road a lot ever since I moved there. So I, have, I honestly, even though technically it's been my home, in quotes, <laughs> for just over a year now, I haven't been there very much to really to really know Atlanta yet, but I'm enjoying, you know, the discovery when I am there. 
Grammy-nominated singer Somi from our conversation recorded this spring. Her album Zenzile, The Reimagination of Miriam Makiba, is out now. More information is on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., we'll hear about life behind the camera on the front lines with filmmaker Heather O'Neill and photojournalist Maria Fleet. Their documentary, No Ordinary Life, debuts on CNN next week. Plus, Atlanta artist Amber Nicole explains why she loves making art from vinyl records. And we'll hear the next installment in our series, H. Johnson's Jazz Moment. If you missed part of today's show, you could catch up on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find our complete archive of interviews, so you can listen to City Lights on your own schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Droves. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. Do connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.